0: Hello and welcome to the 29th episode of the Mike McNair Revolutionary Strategy series. Today is Wednesday, the 6th of November 2019, and I'm your host Tom O'Brien. We continue our march through chapter 8, Political Consciousness, and discuss why we shouldn't just do what the Russians did. This week I have the new Patreons Mala Branch, Ruri Nigel Walker, Ian Zabo. Will Madhouse, Ryan Stray, Lex Whitfield, Stevie Schmidt and Paul Hammer to tank. You too can keep the good ship Alpha afloat by joining the Patreon gang gang for as little as $5 a month, which works out at $1 an episode. Patreons get special bonus episodes, the right to vote on the Reading Group series and other cool stuff too. We are closing in on the Magic 100 patrons, which means we'll be producing a second Patreon-only podcast every month. This week's and last week's episode were both edited by the very generous Mason Kerr. Thanks a million for the help, Mason. If you can't afford the dollars to become a patron but want to support the show, why not help out by taking some of this editing off my hands? Hit me up on Twitter or Facebook if you're interested. Okay, to the discussion.
1: Let's give it over to Kyle. The Bolshevization of the Communist Parties and the savage polemics against Kautsky and others over classless democracy, which became part of the common inheritance of official communism, Maoism and Trotskyism, deeply deformed these movements. In the end, the Bonapartist centralized dictatorship of the party bureaucracy produced kleptocrats in the USSR and the countries that copied it. In the Western Communist Parties and the trade unions associated with them, it produced ordinary labor bureaucrats with more power to quash dissent than the old socialist bureaucracy had deployed, a feature gratefully copied by the social democratic right. In the Trotskyist and Maoist groups, it produced petty patriarchs and tinpot dictators whose interests in holding on to their jobs and petty power were an effective obstacle to unity. It thus turned out to be in the interests of the capitalist class. Moreover, casting out the renegade Kautsky, cut off the communists from the Western European roots of their politics. Lenin and his co-thinker's transmission of the inheritance of the Second International into Russian politics became Lenin's unique genius on the party question, feeding into the cult of the personality of Lenin and its successors. Perfectly ordinary Western socialist political divisions pre-existing the split in the Second International had to be cast in Russian terms. Communists began to speak a language alien to their broader audiences,
0: the language that has descended in today's speak. I've got two questions to ask people about this. When I was reading this, the first one is, what does he mean here by classless democracy and the savage polemics against Kautsky and others over classless democracy? What does that mean?
2: Um, It's the way that the old... Kautskians uh, valued democracy as a social institution, kind of regardless of the class content. Even though they wanted, they wanted like a you know, a, they wanted socialism, right? And they did, they did think of like political like forms and structures as potentially having class content. But the way that Kautskians sort of dealt with democracy it was as a good, no matter in what context it was coming from. So bourgeois democracy was good, and you wanted to preserve even some of the democratic organs from bourgeois democracy in your socialist transition. There was no such, (laughs) there was no such pretension for the, um, the Bolsheviks against the provisional government. They wanted to fucking liquidate and destroy those organs, you know, and then just, we're just going to whip up a new democracy from scratch, right?
3: Which, Which they never did. I mean,
2: well, there were organs, and they were like, you know what, never mind. (laughs) This is this this does actually isn't going to work, and you know you could question the wisdom of that, um, but like. It kind of plays into the kautsky's, you know, argument is that look, there was mm-hmm. like this historic kind of build up of democratic legitimacy. If you just sweep it away, even for something more radically democratic, that's going to be real easy to sweep away too.
3: Well, I mean, the, and the thing is that the final moment of radical democracy never arrived. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I want to say something that, that maybe it may shock people, but they, at the local level, like for example. Um, the DPRK, DPRK, which is uh, uh, like one of the, I, you know, it's gotten better. Uh, North Korea. Yeah. It's gotten better recently um, because its economy doesn't quite suck as bad because, believe it or not, Kim Jong Un's been neoliberalizing under yeah. the radar that no one's been paying attention to.
2: No, no, for sure. Um, um, the Donju Road.
3: Right. But like, they do have fairly democratic local ordinance bodies, but they're completely subordinate to like a ca- like a hereditary, like communist warrior dynasty caste god thing. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how to explain. Okay, so about democracy, what about it? Well, I mean, the thing is you can have, my, my point is you can have um, remnants of democracy even in the worst of the socialist systems, it didn't fucking matter. Right mm-hmm. there, there are yeah. democratic elements to North Korea for real. It doesn't yeah. matter. Your options, your democratic options, are between shit and poo. And there, and it's all within you know, it's within on the national level. It's within the party apparatus. On the local level, there are there are like divi- there are factional divisions that are allowed, but they're really meaningless. So the form of democracy is maintained at some, in some ways, and, so, and in some cases, even radically. But it's not a democratic society, even in the way the bourgeois societies are, and they're not as democratic as they like to pretend to be either. What are you left with? And what what most um most socialists who want to defend this shit'll do is they'll point out that the bourgeois society is not as democratic as justification for the fact right. that their weird, you know, hybrid systems are not that democratic, but you know, but neither are the ones you live in and call democracy now, so it's not really that bad. Yo. so what do we do about
0: we, that well i suppose you know you can have uh it's like one of these classical marx things that that is the the form of the essence that's in the world but it's not true
4: <laughs>
2: you know what i mean yeah what about the class content of the post you know communist hellhole you know like
5: well, well <laughs> i i only heard the last chunk of that but uh Usually, what I say to tanks who say shit like that is like, well, you know, if your idea of socialism is not really better than bourgeois democracy, then why are we doing this? You
3: know what they'll and- tell you fairness, justice, or equity. Uh, isn't that what they appeal to? It's fairness. I mean, also, which is always ironic to me because so I mean, people forget this, but we shouldn't have ever let this, the fucking libertarians and the capitalists steal freedom from us. Right. Uh,
5: yeah. um, <laughs> hardcore agree because yeah, you talk to your average person, they're not like on board with Stalinism. They just aren't. Yeah, <laughs> like, what? And yeah, I know, crazy. But even like, <gasps> oftentimes we get like white-filled rollists who are saying like, who just basically assume that any person of color is just going to like be on board with this, and it's just simply not true.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's also like they haven't looked at the voting patterns of, I don't know, the people of color in the Democrats, much right. less their likelihood to be social. I mean, like, and I don't want to sound like I'm not I don't want that sounds almost reactionary, but it's just like, no, people of color are not a magical unitary block that just automatically has progressive opinions just cause.
5: Right. They're not homogenous. <laughs> and that's the thing that these people don't. Realize and they treat it as if they're mm-hmm. homogenous and that they're good anti racists which is ass backwards. It they're is people, kind of you know, it's definitely it. it's definitely racist. Like,
0: let's well, move it on. But I, come on. Oh, sorry, yeah, come on, say something. Oh,
4: I think it's true that there's like less racist people of color, quote unquote, are like less likely to be um racist or lean right. Oh, yeah, but that's they, true. they, that's true. yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: But, but lean right in the sense that they're not going to be Republicans. But, like, it, yeah, it, it but like, that doesn't mean they're,
4: right. uh, <laughs> they're not going to line they're not
3: up gonna... with the
2: people that attack them on racial issues. That that stands yeah. to reason. Yeah. But it doesn't yeah. mean that, you know, they, they end up with the full, the full progressive package. Right.
5: Yeah. I mean, and even people of color is homogenous in a sense, too, because you can have like some uh, Latin American voters who tend to vote republican for uh, based on religious issues mm-hmm. and some who don't some who are quite progressive and even revolutionary so it's not
0: or, or the fact that they're all coming fleeing from being the ruling class in some fucking country where they fucking destroyed everything yeah well, I mean, right,
5: where the u.s destroyed everything more or less i mean and
0: they were they were the 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 local fucking Turncoats or whatever. You know what, oh no, yeah, I, yeah.
3: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on the limb and say the US didn't need to destroy Venezuela. It would it would have done a goddamn good job of doing it on its own. Well oh, yeah. Know. Anyway, yeah. let's, it, let's no, it, We're
0: so far <laughs> off the here. I wanna ask this question. Okay. Yes. What is he saying here? Lenin and his co thinkers' transmission of the inheritance of the second international into Russian politics became Lenin's unique genius on the party question. How, so it, what did you mean by that? I do not understand. Yeah. It, it seems like Lenin did the fucking opposite of the Second International.
5: Uh, McNair talks about this in earlier in the book um, where the theorization of what a party is was not really well-developed before Kotsky. And it wasn't like Kotsky was the only one who made innovations on this. But basically, like by the time we get to the late 19th century and early 20th century, what we think of as the modern political party was starting to take shape and kautsky and lenin were both good marxist thinkers on theorizing about this modern form of a political party i, I believe that's what he's getting at and i well, think that's true i think we well, can give lenin credit for that yeah but the point being that lenin copied like 90 percent
2: of his thought from kautsky like right and, and any good marxist at the time would have done the same like or, or was at least responding to kautsky you know he was right. like uh he was the central Thinker uh, on these organizational questions, and then, the, and then, and the basically,
3: copy was fucked up. And like,
2: well, <laughs> well, I, Lenin actually kind of did what what Marx does a lot. On honestly, like in in written practice, where he'll like copy the shit out of some thinker, then like kind of disagree with him about something, blow that up into being a huge big deal, and being like, you know what, fuck you. Nobody should read you. You're a dick. Go to hell. And then yeah. and so all the followers of Marx are like, yeah, I'm not going to read that guy. Uh, but, but then if you picked it up, you realize, oh, shit, uh, Marx really actually lear- learned a lot from this guy. So, like,
5: yeah. I, I would say that there, this is like more justifiable for Marx than it is for Lenin, because if we're looking at like Proudhon or Bakunin, there are greater differences between Proudhon, especially Proudhon. There are greater differences between Proudhon and, and Marx than there are between Lenin and Kotsky. Like, Lenin just really took Kotsky, maybe developed it a little bit, bam, Lenin. I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe I'm being a bit vulgar, but I don't believe
2: it's, really... it's, it's a bit vulgar because Lenin has, like, a democratic ha, – has a period where he really does take, like, democracy to be a good. Right. Like, no, that's true. And, like – but, yeah. it's In retrospect, my- it's, like, it's, like, questionable how, like, sincere the commitment is if that wasn't just, like, a tactical thing.
3: The ordinary – rest- yeah, go ahead. And I also
4: think Lenin's theory of imperialism comes a lot from Hilferding. As well, like I think I think he draws on many writers.
3: Yeah. 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 But like a lot but of often,
4: but
2: but often he's not like, oh fuck Hilferding Don't read that, Dick. What are you, some kind of traitor? Don't read that. <laughs> but that's what happens with Kautsky, right? And so nobody oh, yeah. reads Kautsky. Nobody knows that most of Lenin's thought is from Kautsky. Stalin creates a cult of personality around Lenin, and Lenin is thought of as a singular genius when it's not even just that he's amalgamating a lot of sources. It's just like a, most of his shit is cribbed from Kowski, like ninety percent. Kowski,
3: I mean, the, like the the, the, uh, the imperialism is heel for them because that's actually one of the substantive disagreements with Kowski. And what's fascinating about what I've always found fascinating, but that if you read Kowski's theory of imperial, imperialism and colonialism, like it actually kind of applies to World War II better than the model that Lenin's using in World War One. But his war but he's right in world war one because the the conditions are very different and the conditions being like where how dependent these economies are on colonialism
0: one thing for for people uh mcnair told me he's working on a book on imperialism oh that's awesome and oh that's that's and interesting he's got a he, he big critique on lenin's imperialism he thinks ellen's lenin's imperialism is all wrong yeah, yeah me too <laughs> he,
2: he's he's written a series of articles in the weekly worker that are quite good critiquing Lenin's imperialism. So yeah, I'm yeah. really looking uh, forward to this. Go Grossman
4: ahead. has a really good uh, imperialism theory that he outlays in um, the third section of uh, law of accumulation. Oh cool It's like yeah it's like uh, yeah. it's like yeah. super consistent with um, value theory.
3: So is it unlike, say, I mean, I don't want to spit on the dead because he just died this week, but like Wallerstein's world systems theory, which doesn't seem consistent with value theory at all. Um, I don't know.
4: I haven't read Wallerstein, so I can't comment I, on him.
3: I, I have, but my only issue, like, it, it, it does a lot of it makes a sense, but he actually takes nation states as like super so generous actors. Um, he also still sees China as part of the periphery, which is nutty. Um, so, um, <laughs> but beyond that, um, but to like get into this, it's funny the. <laughs> The last he gets a, he gets a dig at the, at the end of this paragraph that I, I just found humorous that I wanted to point out. Perfectly ordinary Western socialist political divisions, pre existing the split into Second International, have been cast in Russian terms. And in communists began to speak a language alien to their broader audiences, the language that has descended into today's trot speak. Yes,
1: comrade.
3: <laughs> God, it's yeah. so bad. And if it's not trot, it's mouse speak. But yeah.
1: Well, it's, yeah, yeah. It's insufferable. It, it, it's it's really it has so little value to speak in those terms because you're you're taking these these reasonable political divisions and then you're mapping them onto this this very particular convoluted process of uh, political position swapping that happened in within the Bolsheviks in the mid 20th century and it's like how is that. A- in any way better than using terms that would be more familiar to people.
2: It's, I think the, you know, Stafford beer has a quote that the function of something is what it does. You know what I mean? Like, or like the, mm, that, yeah. I, I forget exactly what it is, but the. I think the point is rather clear. It's a form of intellectual domination <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's, it's an outmoded fo- form of politics. Like, And so people are very attached to this tradition of power and that this was a way of whipping people into a frenzy like they had hadn't seen before, you know, that could turn, you know, a a failed son lawyer into a a great man in statues. And so people have reactionary power fantasies associated with this political culture that wears all the skins of the great revolutions like like. uh, and it, it
1: really, it really does get into that role playing aspect of the politics because, like, you're sort of personalizing political positions and making them into like embodied roles, right? Yeah, um,
3: yeah. There's definitely yeah. that. There's also some. There's some other weird stuff about it too. I mean, like, um, I come out of a, an organization that I won't name because I don't want to have this fight today that talks in the talks about the entire history in the terms basically of 1917 and actually probably has some pretty like hardcore conservative positions. And they they do have basically a great man theory of, of revolution where like, there are no, like we're, we're still regressed. There could never be these great Russian and bourgeois revolutionaries anymore. Marxism is dying because, you know, they are, you know, these people don't exist. And the only way it'll be revived is, you know, by becoming this pure distillation of, of our our favorite ideologies and speaking this way all the time in a way that sounds too to even me religious
0: even more than that's me. every truck group ever
3: yeah i know well it's a lot of Maoist groups too because like the like like protect like the way they talk about protracted people's war as if it's like the second coming of christ and i say that like <laughs> like like some of the groups like shining path literally did talk about it in the same terms of like of like thousand years of peace and shit it was it's it's crazy all
0: right uh right i'm going to move on here to the general staff of the world revolution it was getting me all kind of nostradamus there with thousand years of peace i like the sound of that stuff it's great i read nostradamus when i was seven that was a bad idea what the 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 book My brother bought some book on Nostradamus, and it had loads of these verses. And I read it, and the book predicted that the world would end in 1999. And I was like, I was, it was like 1986 or something when I read it, or 85. I was like, right. So I've only going to live to the age of 23. I was like, okay. And the Russians are going in. It was saying the Russians would invade and take over like Western Europe in nineteen ninety two. I was like, right, okay. And it was like, so I I was saying to myself, I literally was saying to myself, I should really start smoking now because I'm not gonna die of cancer. That was my that was my (laughs) one conclusion from the whole thing.
3: (laughs) Yeah, for those yeah for those who didn't grow up in the in the eighties like uh like Tom and I, it's a more fucked up time period than people remember. (laughs) Like the amount of weird ass apocalyptic conspiracy mongering was insane. Like my my parents had the same kinds of Nostradamus books, and like Michelle remembers in satanic satanic panic conspiracy
1: well, shit, and just like how close <laughs> the Laroucheites were to American power, and that at that point in time, is oh yeah, they really were totally. mind blowing. <laughs> like they were like part of the weirdos at the Reagan court. You know,
2: it's, it's wow. just
0: bizarre.
2: Wow. Influential American Leninists,
0: huh? Tell you, you yeah. okay, I'm gonna Christ. move on here. It was like literally, it was really normal for like kids to be like worrying about nuclear holocaust. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that was just like you'd be going to bed and say, oh, I'm yeah. saying your prayers and hopefully this problem will land in the head. Totally. Yeah, it yeah. really
2: was. Like it- no, I talked I talk to Zoomers that are like, Oh man, you know, people never really thought what it was like to be dealing with the end of the world. And I'm like, motherfucker, like I, I felt like I missed the cold I thought I, I felt like I missed the Cold War, but I knew enough about the Cold War to know that people were constantly thinking about the end of the world.
3: Like, I literally wrote an essay in 19 and no, in 2000 about the amount of people on you who are obsessed either secularly or religiously with the end of the world. And these zoomers who were like, Oh, the apocalypse, we were looking at the apocalypse. I'm like, grow up bucko um <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> like you are weak i was raised with locust and nuclear weapons you just have climate change that's slow yeah but uh, at least
2: no one no one has to hit any buttons to make this happen it's just gonna happen with you know just add physics
0: learn to swim so, um yeah <laughs> you didn't have to deal with the red wow. dawn you know the red dawn and patrick swayze fucking with his ak-47s motherfuckers right let's talk did,
5: did tom and derek just <laughs> <Of course laughs> go full boomer
0: of course they went full boomer. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah I thought, a boomer get, get fucked okay <laughs> 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 yeah okay, you no. technically
3: <laughs> i'm a millennial guy
0: <laughs> i don't even know what i am that's all american You're a G- or rubbish PR yeah rubbish. <laughs> American, you're, you're never,
3: Irish. You're you're timeless.
0: Nobody in Ireland <laughs> Nobody in Ireland or Europe goes, Oh yeah, the, the years I was born has got a particular name made up by some prick <laughs> on Wall Street.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, no, move. Hate, I gotta move. I gotta move. Hate, I gotta move to Ireland. Yeah, you, you, this time. you hate yeah. each other for much more like like sensible reasons, like um what last name your great-grandparents
0: had or something uh, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah what what you know you can you can tell somebody's how they vote by how they're what side of like some fucking civil war they were on that's the type of politics we have in europe that's the we want. right yeah because your, your stuff is bled like you, people don't really vote with like to two different sides. It's switched in America, hasn't it? Like yeah. Republicans has switched to Southern fucking phenomenon. To yeah, a I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And
3: yeah. Although totally interestingly, the, the the politics didn't totally flip though. I mean, part of the thing is like the Southern, even though the union movement was crushed there, the, the 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 old Southern racist were conservative as fuck, but they had like a like a social gospel workers core left over from like William Jennings Bryant for some weird ass reason. And yeah. by the by the eighties that was all dead. I mean, but that's why like like free college education and our like severely reduced price college education and all that. That actually happened in the South before the rest of the country. Um, and it hasn't happened in all the country. Okay. Um, anyway, let's, let's go. keep
0: going here. Yeah. I, I really like these couple of paragraphs. I'm going read it myself and then I want to I wanna spew some vile. Okay, vile, not vile. I could spew a vial, that'd be interesting. Okay. <laughs> the general staff of world revolution. Trotsky described Comintern as the political general staff of the World Revolution, as the political general staff of the World Revolution, and the phrase to some extent stuck. The idea of a general staff was in fact taken from the German Imperial Armed Forces, the Prussian Grosser General Stab. Had been the first such institution, and the imperial version had conducted the strategic planning that was put into effect in 1914. It carried with it a very centralized concept of command. Imperial General Staff, to a considerable extent, micromanaged the particular fronts. In the latter part of World War One, the Imperial General Staff, headed by Hindenburg and Ludendorff, became the effective government of Germany. This background in Prussian military thought carried it carried with it a willingness, in common terms leadership to micromanage the national parties. At the very beginning of the common turn, the Russians pressed their closest, their closest German co thinkers for an early split with the Independent Social Democratic Party, the USPD, a decision the German leaders regretted. The ECCI had no hesitation in issuing instructions to the French Communist Party, the PCF, about, for example, the composition of its leadership, and the reorganization of its sen federation and pressed the german communist party the kpd in 1923 to make similar military to sorry to make military preparations for an insurrection okay okay no that's enough that's enough yeah so um basically they tried to apply what happened in russia crudely to every goddamn party across europe let's get it straight here like lenin was alive during this time wasn't he
3: oh yeah Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to tell you some stories that make this worse. But let's start with Europe, because it's actually even worse than out of Europe.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so Lenin is the fellow making these decisions here. And he's basically making and forcing them to do exactly what he did, because we got it right in our place. So therefore, it has to be yeah. exactly the same in all of your countries, even though I'm not from France or Germany. I'm from Russia. And I know more than all of you. Ye. Yeah,
2: Rand- this is, he, he makes this argument explicit in left wing communism and infantile disorder. Yeah,
0: and and this so- is a this is a disaster. It's oh, a yeah. strategy, not a strategy, not a total disaster.
5: Yeah, well, this you. is uh, this mm-hmm. is what I could point to when uh, you get like when you're, when I'm talking to like neo-Leninists or like people who are like left-Leninists or largely types, you know, and they want to separate Lenin from Stalin, right? And this is the kind of stuff that you could point to very easily. It's like right there in our history, and say, well, actually, you got to transplant them a little bit. This, Lenin laid the groundwork for everything bad that happened, and I don't think he wanted that, but he, the way that they just assumed that civil war was intimate, and then they created a militarized party, and then exported that everywhere, that wasn't Stalin, that was Lenin, and you need to take responsibility for that, and they refused to, and I I understand why, because anarchists, tend to be very moralistic and just treat him like he's a monster who eats everyone or whatever. But, you know, the Cold War's over. You don't have to think like that. You can think rationally about this and Lenin fucked up. Yeah, but
2: Soro was right. And Lenin is a meme. And that's the <laughs> basis on which these people are dealing I'm not kidding. This is the basis on which people are dealing with Lenin, is that he embodies all like the the myth of the the big revolution that cleanses it all. He ends up embodying the actual heroic sacrifice of many, you know, Hundreds of thousands of syndicalists and socialists and communists and anarchists and whatever he gets to embody that, and that's what he means to those people and that, to the to the people tearing him down and to the people building him up. Very few of them are are, are dealing with Leninism.
3: as I mean, yeah, it's but a let's figure. But okay, let's really get into how bad this fucked things up, though. Okay, like, has anyone read Jacoby's Dialectic of Defeat? The There's one chapter where I he have. goes into like what Zenovia was doing under Lenin's orders to the to not just the 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 US payday all right but also to the communist parties like he they played they played left comms and and regular and regular comms off of each other to the extent that there may have been a chance for a second like slow revolution later on in the twenties. And frankly Zenovia killed it. They also did that in the United States. So that's terrible like they, they totally I mean like the, like if you know the the life story of John Reed it gets into this but like they totally like and there are a lot of shitty elements in the in the in the SPA but like they totally fuck with um Zenodia have Habs Reed and they they play all these sides to basically become the front party for the Bolsheviks in the, in the, in the states with some allegiance, so they play all these factions coming out of the SPD against each other, and that leads to like the De it at least another group. It, eventually, they form their own party, the CPUSA, which immediately has its own internal problems because of it. Actually, it, it does a lot of good work in the south and starts really kind of focusing on racial issues during and this is in the late lennon stalin period and then immediately gets fucked when um when they when they issue orders for them to like don't criticize the democrats ever because we have to make this united front work or popular front work actually not united front this is all tied up in that history, and this is directly to that time period. It wasn't just here. I mean, it wasn't just in Europe. It was all over the place. They did it in China, too. No, the, the uh, Chinese
2: story is one of the most grisly.
3: Like, right. yeah, like, it's super bad what they did did in China. and Enlai and Mao just kind of survived by luck, and because Mao was a sycophant, frankly, for Stalin. But, like it was, they were purging, they would like call people up to the, to the common meeting and shoot them. So like, it's like McNair's actually underplaying how bad this was. And what makes me super mad is people don't point out, we don't talk about the neo Leninists, but like Trots, the Trotskyists came up with this structure. Trotsky came up with this structure. It was like, it wasn't just Lenin. This is Trotsky too. Yeah, Trotsky writes a lot of
2: nice stuff after it's relevant, you know, like Obama or something. But, you know, when when he had the power, what he did makes that stuff hypocritical. It's insightful in a way that
0: reflects (laughs) what he did wrong. So like we've we've gone through some of the stuff here about like the poor strategy of like doing the Russian Revolution and, you know, it being kind of doomed because Germany was it was a terrible time to do it for Germany because all the left in Germany was split and it fucked up its own stuff with the war. And now we've gone and. Crushed this terrible idea into all of world commie fucking parties. So, can someone explain to me exactly why Lenin is supposed to be this great thinker?
3: I mean, even a lot of his enemies, I mean, like a lot of his enemies from this time period end up like still calling themselves Leninists, like
0: Bordiga, who's actually more Leninist
3: than Lenin. But, like, one of the reasons I was initially into him was that during this time period, um, and also later in Stalin's time period, and I mean, you got to admire men who had these kind of balls he he resisted the bolsheviks being able to do this to the italian party and to to the point to where like he told he told stalin off to his face at a common term meeting and survived um yeah he's the last western communist to do that he's yeah.
2: called him the grave digger of the revolution to his, yeah. it's to
3: his face it's <laughs> pretty i mean it's hard i mean like you know say what you what you say <laughs> about borgia but like that's and he was principled on this because Bordiga, who like was a party authoritarian in ways that like even most Stalinists aren't, frankly. But um, he was insistent that he, that each of the nation that the national um, groupings within within communism would have to parse a lot of this stuff out organically within its within its own you know cultural space. And I, it also, is ironic given how many people like Bordiga who are like anti national liberation and stuff because he was actually huge oh, no. on. Um, on um, like not just nat- nations but cultures being able to like suss out what a lot of this looks like for themselves as long as they're with it as long as they're abolishing the value form. So, so, someone get-
0: answer me like what what is yeah why why Lenin why is he so admired apart from the fact that they 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 managed to hold it together for a while like what I mean, what is the what's the key? The key, key, is, the key is really a key was good.
2: Yeah, it's Stalin really Stalin builds up the image of Lenin. Oh, there has got to
0: be more to it a, than that. No, got be, I
3: got it. I got it. I got it. I don't. I also am going to agree with Tom because. Well, um, Sorrell Sorrel says the, the rest. I already kind of pointed
2: to the butthole reasons for this, but the person who enacts the cult in history is Stalin.
3: Right. Well, that that that's that's true. But and also the, the Trotsky has become the main opposition to Stalin. But they also share the the Lenin worship. Um, and tr- so much so that Trotsky also actually downplays his historical disagreements with, um, with Lenin and, and That's ways a, it, it's mm-hmm. a standard power grabbing. Like, you know,
2: if when George Washington dies, you know, everyone is going to be like, yeah, I knew Washington. Oh, you know, we weren't, we, we weren't that like at loggerheads, me and George Washington, we were buddies, you know, like it's a, it's a play to legitimacy. And, uh, Stalin did this the best. Stalin was always like me. I'm but a humble student. Me? No. I'm but a follower. The follower of the great teacher Lenin. What did the great teacher Lenin say? I'm going to just fucking quote this for like a page.
3: Right. I mean, and, and like, he would even do stuff that Lenin like, at least in the 30s, um, in the 40s, he starts deviating. But he would even do stuff that he didn't agree with Lenin on, he'd still do it. Right. And that's also not addressed by... Um, the, the only thing that I mean, like, if you read uh, Lenin's last testament, there, there, like, the, the, Lenin does seem to have sincerely wanted democratization of some variety, yeah. but he didn't spell out how he wanted it, and also he shit-talked every single one of his people. Like, like, he also seems like a legitly terrible person to be a comrade with. Oh like, yeah, it, like, like, nobody ends up like he. He, I mean, he doesn't kill them, and so there's that, which is you know better than <laughs> than Stalin, but I mean, like. <laughs> like read what he has to say about zinoviev and and stalin and trotsky i mean he doesn't even have good things to say about trotsky in a lot of ways i mean like he's just kind of a douche
5: even in the last testament where is most notable for him dunking on stalin he dunks on trotsky too really not not as hard but he does i mean it's hard i, I used to you know when i was trying to be a leninist also like I would often use the Last Testament to like separate Lenin from Stalin as well. He could have tried to do that before he got sick. You know, like you could have tried a little bit harder, my dude, to be democratic and you didn't. You did everything the opposite of that. And it, it's your fault.
3: Yeah. And maybe he was
5: feeling regret. Like it I, I feels like there's like regret in his words. And there's other things that I've read that, that wasn't in the Last Testament that seems like he regretted a lot of what, what he did and what happened. I think you saw the writing on the wall you know yeah i I know
3: that i know that like iron felix too also was like that iron felix regretted a lot of what he felt like he had to do i mean you you the uh, the old bolsheviks do come up look they do all of them in a way i mean except for well it's hard to like molotov because fucker survived so long but all i mean and like like dude literally like even though he loved his wife like was willing to like be a toady on that too. So I can't say, but everybody else comes off as a tragic figure, but all of them are shitty. The left opposition was shitty too. Zinoviev's a real shit. Zinoviev did so much fucked up stuff to the European Communist Parties, like personally by giving bad advice and bad directives and playing people off of each other knowingly and stuff like that. I mean, like it, it, when you read this history, I don't know how you come up with a rosy view of all this and I'm done.
1: Before we move on, I just wanted to address this point about the general staff Right, um, the, the, this, this concept comes from the, oh, the idea yeah. of the Prussian general staff. Um, you know, I just wanted to note that like, the idea of a general staff as an organizational form in even the military domain is like, pretty hotly disputed, right? Because you get these kinds of problems in militaries that that use one, right? Um, where you have a, a, a general staff that's usually viewed as quite arrogant, they micromanage um, and it causes all kinds of problems. If you actually like read about the military history of like the second world War, the ways in which Hitler like made these problems even worse in terms of how he managed the uh, German military and the invasion of Russia, it's hard to come away from like, this sort of theory of organization and, and think it's really a great way to organize either their military efforts or political efforts. And furthermore, like, yeah, if you look at sort of, you know, Stafford Beer's theory about cybernetics, it's exactly the opposite of what he thinks is makes an effective organization. For some of the reasons that uh, you were talking about, Derek, with uh, Bordiga, you know, Bordiga's objections would kind of rhyme with what Beer would say about that.
2: Yeah, um, Stafford Beer is the only person to have ever spelled out something that seems like it gets to the point of what Bordiga is trying to articulate by organic centralism. you know, that, like, you have, like, a sort of network of things based on the sort of emergent conditions, and you have, like, a body in the in the middle that essentially only intervenes when there's, like, a pain signal, you might say like when there's something that can't be managed at that level. That's well, like-
1: you, you, you even see this in like the, like military literature that right. is responding to the idea of the general staff, right. right? Because, you know, fighting a war is a pretty intense test of your theory. There's certainly ways in which these things persist despite failures, just as they do in politics, but there are critiques that come up.
3: Yeah. I, w- I- I know a lot about that. Unfortunately, but is a lot vaguer and he has an authoritarian view of the party. Yeah. Um, but within the party, he has a very nebulous, I mean, he frankly a technocratic because he, he thinks these networks will create technocrats that can just make informed decisions that aren't political because he hates politics and that, you know, they would be like, like ways to adjust this based on inputs from central planning committees and, ration problems and stuff like that. Um so in in some ways Bordiga is like way more authoritarian, but he does he does seem to see these like overly teleologically oriented things. I mean, and I'm going to like I want to like make this explicit. Even down to engineering this general staff central teleological um, form. I mean, like as I hate Deleuze, but Deleuze makes a very good point about this. This was the like this was this was debated on and decided on in like 1919 like they decided that society needed to be centrally and not just centrally planned but centrally organized around around the central committee and the quote-unquote general staff of the of the revolution and the proletariat which would represent the dictatorship of the proletariat and that this went down to like how they set up plumbing um which means these systems are hyper efficient but also super fucking fragile like so anyone who like does any kind of system analysis can see like, oh, it doesn't take a whole lot to make all this fail and thus also make like dumbass like, oh, the knowledge problem stuff seem legitimate because you you have you have a hyper-efficient but hyper-fragile structural mechanism. And by the way, companies do this too and also fail for this
0: very reason. Okay, um, Puya, do you wanna read this section? I think we should move on. Okay, if it had know- been the case. Any objections to moving on? Are people finished? I'm done. Go for it.
4: If it had been the case that Europe was on the verge of generalized civil war, the creation of a European-wide military command structure capable of giving orders to national movements would have been entirely justified. In war, that is to go beyond guerrilla harassment of the enemy and take hold of territory. Uh... And whole territory, yeah. It is necessary to have a centralized command. It is also sometimes necessary for units to sacrifice themselves in diversionary attacks that will enable victory elsewhere. Or, for that matter, in attacks that will lead to breakthroughs uh, by uh, attrition. It might have thus have been justified to wager on the KPD on the possibility that a breakthrough in Germany would bring down the whole European state system. Trotsky certainly went on thinking this for the rest of his life blaming the kpd leadership for fumbling the crisis of 1923. there were two underlying problems the first was that war is a continuation of politics by other means war is not reducible to politics nor politics to war creating a top-down military command structure in the russian communist party Comintern, and other communist parties tended to eliminate or subordinate the local and sectoral mediations that link workers party to its broader working class constituency and feedback on the center of the political ideas and mood current in this constituency. It has thus reduced both the Communist parties and the Cominterns' ability to form political judgments that necessarily underlie decisions from military action. Second, the Communists were, were nowhere near having a political majority support in Europe or even in Germany. The task of a Communists once for a revolutionary wave of 1919 to 1920 had ebbed was as a Comintern recognized in the at the fourth and uh, sorry at the third and fourth congresses to win a political majority, it was not to launch a civil war. A generalized a general staff of a world revolution was therefore inappropriate. The military centrist uh, centralist character of the Comintern had been had the practical effect of making the leaderships of the communist parties dependent on the Comintern center in Moscow. This took the form of material dependence in the case of small communist parties such as the CPGB which received subsidies from Moscow, and equally those parties that were illegal. So that the party leadership was located in Moscow, but it was equally present in uh, stronger communist parties such as the KPD and PCF. The democratic centralist character of a communist within the terms of 1920 to 1921 idea of democratic centralism had the effect that the leaders of these parties were answerable and removable to by the common turn center. They could not both be in this position and answerable and re- and be answerable and to removable by their membership. The problem was accentuated by the fact that the relation to the common center in Moscow was necessary clandestine. In the first place, if the KBD or CPGP openly took orders from Moscow, prosecution would follow. All the more if, as in Germany in 1923, the orders were to prepare and launch forward an insurrection. Second, because it was a uh, Based in Moscow, the Comintern center lacked the sort of legitimacy that had been possessed by the General Council of a First International or by the Congress of a Second. It was all too easy to accuse it of being merely an instrument of a Russian state. Uh, should I continue? Okay. Just do the last.
0: Um, just do this last little paragraph, and we'll stop there. Okay.
4: Clandest uh, clandestinity meant secrecy, and secrecy meant that the members had been even less of a chance of holding the leaders to account than would have been the case if there had been open and transparent subordination of the leaders of the communist parties to the international center there was no chance in this regime of western communist parties resisting the development of open bureaucratic tyranny in the ussr and the uh, accompanying uh, generation of a common turn. now i guess who well, wants to yeah who well, wants
3: to now? this has a this opens a can of worms for me and and lexi can speak to it too because we went <laughs> we, we were a member of a party that actually tried to implement their structure off of the exact constitutional structure, uh, <laughs> our charter structure of the CP of the of the CPGB PCC, which is the 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 the, the organization and sect that uh, McNair is in, they still are structured around this terror cell um, military cadre model to yeah. this day, even after this book was written. And, and I now like am like, why? I mean after reading this um the the other thing that i thought was interesting is like particularly after kyle's comments that mcnair actually takes a whole lot of stuff that's contested um in general military strategy as just a fact based off of 19th century war models um yeah you do have to have a central central command and diversionary tactics uh yeah yeah sure but the central command doesn't have to be structured that centrally and with that you know with, with that kind of, with that hyper-central command structure? I mean, honestly, the U.S. military isn't. Um,
1: yeah, they're, like, that's probably one of the biggest counterexamples to the general staff model, right?
5: Well, on top of that, too, like, and then I think even McNair himself said this earlier, but, like, the whole idea of, like, the idea of, like, Marxist republicanism or even, like, Lenin and state and revolution is that you have, like, a workers' militia where it's the armed working class itself, and not like a special body of people. So, if he's arguing that like it's logical to have like a top-down command structure in a military sense, in, in that general staff sense, right, in a period of civil war, that seems to go that seems to contradict what uh, he was saying before, unless I'm misunderstanding something.
3: Well, I mean, the, the, the I think also we have to remember in their conception, like the revolu- the revolution and the civil war, might not be the the exact same thing. Um, sure, but in the Bolshevik model it wasn't. I mean, the Bolshevik, the actual Bolshevik seizure in October was like kind of easy.
5: Yeah, mm-hmm. correct. But I guess what I'm saying though is that like the the way a dictatorship of the proletariat is structured in like the libertarian Leninist conception or like neo Leninist or you know communist, Republican, whatever, is that you have, uh, you just have a working uh, class militia and officers are elected. And so the general staff model that McNair seems to think
3: is- uh, Necessary during a a civil war is contradicted by his revolutionary model. There's a good reason for that. It's because of the performance of
2: um, those kind of armies in the civil war, right? They kind of, those armies didn't always fight the most efficiently.
3: When yeah, that's limited, true, but they won have the American Revolution. Yeah, no, no,
2: no. You're right. You're right. Oh. But, that, but this is the calculation that gets made in order to hold on to power at the expense of the democratic so, character of the revolution.
3: What I'm pointing out, though, and maybe, maybe I am the anti mcnairist of the group, is uh, he's inconsistent in ways that capitulate a lot of the main points back to traditional Leninism while he's trying to critique it. He's radically inconsistent if you read this closely.
5: I mean, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree, actually. I, I don't think, I still see a lot of value in this text, but I, I, I see value at it with a, a side of salt, if you will.
1: Um, I guess sure. the thing I see that's really problematic from a strategic point of view is that like, he does sort of take up this kind of Klaus-Witzian idea of like attrition uh, warfare and that really does seem to be the model that like the western european communist parties took and was not effective so like if you're seeing that as your model for strategy um yeah i I don't i don't think this is it
3: i mean basically it's basing your it's basing 20 20th century war models into turning them into political models and then and those uh early 20th 19th century war models are also just wrong now to contemporary things anyway yeah like i I keep on reading like like i hate to say this but like motherfucker needs to read the war nerd um (laughs) like war nerd understands the rhizome right and and uh, it also understands like these attrition models when they work and don't work so for example in insurgencies and like for in anti-imperial insurgencies where you're fighting a foreign occupier they work kind of if you're willing to take four times the deaths of the occupier okay so you got to sacrifice 75 percent of your army but they do not work in traditional civil wars actually believe it or not like they they don't in in traditional civil wars in, in which case uh the the odds of the the people who currently hold the state winning in an attrition model is even even when like even if you look at uh for example i don't know the u.s civil war it's gonna always favor the fucking current state like always actually so that's a terrible model
1: and we see this in the way the left fails politically right even outside of the leninist dimension that these attritional tactics are adopted against a more organized and entrenched enemy
3: right and like honestly they're diluted. i mean like this is like marching a group of army ants against the goddamn u.s military effectively i mean like i mean it's it, it the, the the ways in which it's diluted and anachronistic and like not materially rooted and look I got in an argument with someone who I'm not gonna name that so, so I don't start shit today about militancy. It was a very mild argument, but you know, they basically believe that militancy, the reason why they value militancy is it wins and it's based off of this attrition model, right? But they also kind of believe militancy is like a, not quite an ideological position, but kind of like a strategic orientation based on an ideological position, which I find to be hilarious because one of things you'll notice about um, modern armies, they're not militant in an ideological way. At all, right?
2: At all, Mm -hmm. no. Like it's it's an antiquarian form of militancy. What they crave is a listen. What they want is a kind of repression. You know, they want some kind of like they want that, and they want a good reason for it. They can't do it without like a good integrated reason. They would never make it in the modern army. It's not ideological in that way. They want a full integrated warrior monk experience.
3: Right what like like what I actually would point out the people who talk this way, and that and this wasn't a different conversation, like, well, why don't you do what the right wing does and join the military to get the tackle training? One of the things that you'll notice from those of us who have any kind of violence training—that's gone through a formal, like—you um, know—for me, it's like very mild. It's mostly like non-lethals and stuff. But for for but for other people that I know who are like former soldiers, they're the least militant people in the goddamn group. Like almost 100%. universally. <laughs> like it's like for, for good reason, <laughs> right? For and good uh, reason,
2: if you've tasted that world, you don't want to like dwell in it unless there's something wrong with
3: you. Right. Right. So, it, so like the, this model is like it's not just politically del- deleterious, frankly, it's personally deleterious. This will fuck you up in the Children's Crusade.
0: Who wants to take the last no, last I'm, little I, bit? I'm good. Just a little technical difficulty. Right. Oh, cool. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't notice you popped out. I haven't read Next anything bit. yet. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sophie, thought you'd done already. Uh, nope. Sophie, mm-hmm. do you want to take the last bit then?
5: Sure. Can you make it make the uh, text bigger, please? i kind of
0: can't it seems to fuck up when i do
5: oh never mind then i guess if you can make the sidebar go away with all the people there that made it bigger if you, okay oh
0: can
2: you yeah, make I the window up. bigger if you make the window bigger it gets visible
0: yeah exactly
2: well sophie you could do it too like to stretch there, your window
0: but you see it cuts it off it's it's it's, it's a problem with my drive let me open then, then, yeah, it
5: then like do what you had
0: it. To do it the way you had it before it's fine sorry Ah, oh, just give me a second. Just go and take me a second now to get. We can. He uh, <laughs> wants want to sing a song. I've been. <laughs> to- <laughs> I'm trying to find
3: my physical copy of that book myself. It's, um when when you guys went live and all you could could see my butt. That's what I was looking for. But since I recently moved, <laughs> that's, um, what you were, that's what you're.
0: That's why you were mooning, Derek. Is this Yeah, yeah. I'm just mooning you I all. i the book. Looking- I'm looking for
3: McNair. Here's my ass. No, oh my <laughs> <God>. oh. <laughs> i thought I thought that was just an ingenious <laughs> Patreon strategy. <laughs> yeah.
5: Oh, yeah. The galaxy brain, uh, sexiness.
4: Yeah, be- not, we need a we need a Derek twerking next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we, I mean,
3: Patreon Make is Patreon <laughs> is the the cam girl model of business.
2: So it, it is. 100% is. <laughs> yes. That's from the Lexi Lexi K School of Economics.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: All uh, right. Derek's so, uh,
4: pri- private snapchat.
5: Oh my god.
2: Hey. <laughs> Capital Sexuality in Capital <laughs> yeah. Volume Two. Let's find it.
0: <laughs> major, 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 major. Okay. Hit. It right. and,
5: in 1990- oh,
2: nineteen
0: yep. ninety. Sophie. Yeah, here. yeah. yeah. Sorry, Sophie. Sophie, yeah.
5: Damn it, Tom. <laughs> and, In 1919-1920, there was a West European Bureau of the Comintern based in Amsterdam. It turned out that the left communists had a majority and their split brought it to an end. The bureau was overlapped and was succeeded by an equally short-lived Western European secretariat based in Berlin involving at least Radek and Levi. A central European Secretariat was slightly more long-lasting. The short life of these organizations reflected the fact that the military or Bonapartist character of centralism in 1921 was counterposed to them. Horizontal con- connections between neighboring parties and subcenters would inevitably compromise the pure centralism of the international. There were uh, scroll down, please. Compromise the pure. Oops. Compromise the pure centralism of the international. They were to be the parties and the international center. <clears throat> the structural forms reinforce the idea of separate national revolutions. The formal horizontal collaborations might identify concrete common political features or common tasks. The same could <clears throat> excuse me, the same would be true of intermediary levels of organizations such as European or by analogy, Latin American or Pan-African conferences and leading committees. Within national parties, such intermediary structures are common, although bureaucratic centralism tends to close them down or turn them into mere transmission belts for the center. Channeling everything through Moscow had the effect, in contrast, that there could only be national tasks and global tasks, and global tasks were defined by the view from Moscow.
1: Can I just say that, like, this is the way that the Spanish Empire was involved, was organized in South America. And it, in the wake of the collapse of the center, it led to a complete inability of the different uh, colonies to cooperate in any way. (laughs) Like, this, this is, this is like an absolutely terrible way to run any kind of democratic organization.
5: We should just do this again, though, right? <laughs> I mean, we just got to do this again. It'll work this time. I Create, think so. London.
0: Yeah. What does he mean here by this stuff here? Um, horizontal connections between neighboring parties and sub centers would inevitably compromise the pure centralism of the international. What does he well, mean think, by that?
5: I think he was talking about like the different splits that, that happened in that in context.
4: And I Explain. think it means like. Uh, well, I also think it means like, uh, the party just, or it wouldn't be as centralized because you have to, uh, you know, the leaders then have to, um, be accountable to the other party in a different country or so, wherever it is.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, this mm-hmm. is the, the communist like world Republic model It means that like centralization would have limits.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, if you if you have cr- cross connections between national parties, then they're going to be able to set their own agendas, right, and be accountable to each other, um, like, which seems like a pretty basic thing you would need for any kind of meaningful internationalism. But so, like, wh-
2: why isn't there like a democratic socialist of Canada, like, in the way that there's a DSA? Is th- Is there some kind of like?
1: It's groups. because the NDP exists, right? Um, is there, like, and,
5: is
1: there yeah. any
2: like I don't know? Is there any like
3: synergy or like organizational like fragmentation? Yeah, there, there was. It was called oh. the tie, and the, and and it sucks. So the DSA left. <laughs> you now there's nothing, but they didn't try to replace it with anything
1: either.
3: Well, so well, just, yeah, just that's on the international to, level. I'm talking about just like you
2: know across the border, eh? Like,
1: oh, okay. So you're you're talking about like international connections between the Canadian left and the DSA is what you're saying.
2: Right. Like, and you know, on like, I don't know, like maybe the United States is more different than Mexico than from Canada. But in a, you know, politically speaking, there's, there would be a need to like cooperate across the border.
1: So I guess the thing about the organization of the NDP, um, is that the leadership is far less radical than the membership. Um, and so there is actually meaningful cross-border collaboration between the NDP and the American left, but it is between party hacks in the NDP and the democratic party. Right. Um, <laughs> and that's the connection. Like, Cause, Cause they have actual we, goals. Right. Like the, the, the election that was run here in Alberta recently was basically on the Whoa. Hillary Clinton electoral model. Um, and that's cross border political oh. solidarity. Oh, wow. Yeah. American left and,
2: and- <laughs> yeah, let's make the, the Clinton, uh, 2016 campaign. Let's Bolshevize that let's export that throughout the world. That's a yeah. And it, it, it,
1: worked just about as well. Um, <laughs> it was a landslide victory for the right and i'm not <laughs> happy about it
3: yeah but to say like snow canada had a NDP, uh, ndp government for a little while um which surprised everybody and then they- yeah
1: they were they were terrible like <laughs> they they were they were they were chauvinistic about albertan politics they basically resurrected the energy industry the oil industry in alberta uh Holy did everything shit. they possibly could to strengthen them so they were smokestack
3: uh, yellow card workerist
1: mm-hmm. um, for yeah. fucking
3: like Alberta nationalism with the weak tea fucking nationalism. Like I'm gonna weak tea for, for that's my like
2: some that's like almost social fascist at this point. This is it, like
1: it. It was like like so they they antagonized all the other provincial parties of the NDP and the National Party. Um, especially the party in British Columbia, because they were trying to ram through an oil pipeline to the Pacific that the uh, British Columbia NDP, which was also in power, did not uh, accept. And they basically, yeah, they just used right-wing talking points. Um, Don't it, doesn't to, it make
3: you want to run to Canada to escape Trump, people. I mean, like for real. Though. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's
1: it was such a disaster. Um, And it honestly was like a pretty transformative experience for, for me personally in terms of seeing like, yeah, I, I'm like, I'm not really down with sort of national oriented socialism because that chauvinism was so catastrophic that I, I just, I, I can hardly even begin to understand how that leads to it would, meaningful it would be like socialism.
3: The DSA of Texas was like, Texo chauvinist. And I say yeah. that because it's like, oh. it literally is the equivalent. And that, that, since Texas does have like a Republican history of its own, for I don't know, for a couple of months or something. Yeah, uh, but that, that would be like, kind of like a white supremacist politic.
2: It'd be hard to do that outside. Uh, of, did, like, did you realize government? that
3: like, the, the communists went out to Portland were not opposed to the Klan. <laughs> oh, just, I'm just like pointing that out, like. It. It, it, it is these unfortunate is of history that are that our anti-communist woke liberal overlords are actually kind of right about yeah for sure so like, um and also and, and seriously it, it it is why a lot of the, the the particularly i'm gonna i'm not gonna say people of color i'm gonna say black community doesn't really trust um the white socialist movement and the democratic party like for real it's, it's related to this
1: Yeah, and I I guess I will just, you know, so I'm not starting super tons of beef here, like there were positive things the Alberta NDP did. They tried to organize the agricultural workers, which was like really going out on a limb. It was a failure, but they tried. (laughs) They raised the minimum wage significantly. They did some things for LGBTQ rights, which are all getting reversed now that they've lost and the Tories are in power and the, the reaction is going to be twice as bad as what it would have been otherwise. It's just, yeah. you know, you, you look at the positive things they did and it's it's really hard to sort of appreciate them as positive things when the defeat that came out of this is, is going to be so crushing uh, for working people. Yeah.
3: Are, is the left in um, Alberta like doubling down though on it to defend it now that they're in opposition mode? Like, like, like the Democrats? Yeah, yeah. Right
1: the, what they're doing is they're um, they're partially uh, just sort of pointing to the perfidy and the lies and the corruption of the conservatives. Um, and then the other thing they're doing is they're organizing budget town halls to sort of like point out or make the, the the conservative cuts agenda a a public issue those are the those are the things they're doing i feel like the second one is something that the democrats wouldn't do but um the first one is definitely something that democrats would do
3: democrats would do the second one the democrats would do on a local level but not on a national one and then depends on the locality but just to bring this point out man like these horizontal connections between neighboring parties subcenters centers would inevitably compromise the pure centralists of the international we'd also have to deal with all this shit like like could you imagine like trying to get trying to get like the brooklyn dsa to like actually deal with like the alberta ND- ndp ndp real- <laughs> like i can't even get the brooklyn dsa to like talk like really deal with like the southern and western chapters of the dsa much yeah. less like
2: look everybody knows that nuke brooklyn is first on my program, but the point,
3: the point is, I, just want, I just want communists,
2: I just want comrades, I just want Buffalo, New York comrades to smoke weed with Toronto comrades right now, like just as a start, I, that's a start, that's the second point of my platform, okay? Alright. Buffalo, New York people, you can escape some of the fallout in Canada and smoke some weed.
0: Well, surely we should be nuking Connecticut then as well, come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: for sure, let me just get, I'll sure. gather my picks. Get
0: your stuff. Get
2: your
0: stuff. <laughs> On this episode, you heard the theme tune, The Order of the Pharaonic Jesters, and The Night of the Purple Moon by Sun Ra and his orchestra. Thank you for listening and please join me for the next episode of From Alpha to Omega. This show is a member of the Emancipation Network, a Marxist podcast and research collective. Make sure to check out our network's sister podcasts, General Intellect Unit and Swampside Chats.